Amen. And it's so good to, uh, to be with you. It's so good to see uh, so many of you. As I look around, man, I see so many uh, just friends and family, and it's an honor for, for us to come. Uh, Justin asked if, uh, if we would come and if I would have, uh, you know, any doubt about sharing with you this morning about this topic. And honestly, before he could even finish, I was like, yes, yes, we want to come um, because we love you. We love you so much. As Justin mentioned, uh, you know, we were part of this family of churches for years. Uh, Ten years total, uh, Brittany and I have, have lived in, in Utah and been around here. And so, so many of you, like we have, we have so many relationships here that go uh, way back and, and so many that, that just go back a few months. But either way, it's an honor and a privilege for me to come and to share with you a little bit this morning. Uh, I just want you to know that, that we love you uh, from Texas, that we pray for you, uh, that we honestly, like just, we, we have so much joy in our hearts when we see you. And so, uh, excited to be here this morning. We're, we're just going to keep going in, in something that the Lord has stirred in the hearts of the elders here uh, in Psalm. And so uh, Justin asked me to, to continue this in. He gave me the topic of just talking about abiding with Jesus. And I'll tell you from the, the get-go here, this is not something that I'm by any means a professional in, but a, a fellow laborer, a struggler in abiding with Jesus. And it's something that I know that I've got to grow in. And, and uh, the Lord has been stirring in my heart a few things about this that I'm really pumped to share with you. And so I want to just get started with reading again this Psalm chapter 27, verse 4. Psalm 27, verse 4 says this, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And so here, this is a Psalm of David written by King David himself. And uh, if you, you might remember, if you've been around church for a while, or if you've read some in the Bible, you see uh, there was a nickname from God that God has for David. Does anybody know what that is? You can just shout it out. Yeah, David was known as a man after God's own heart. Now, what do you think that means? Think about that just a little bit. As I was pondering that um, in the last couple of weeks myself, I just quickly thought about my youngest son. Uh, his name is Eli, and he's eight years old. And if you've met him, you know he's a fireball. Like he's, he's got bright red hair, and he, he like fits every description of like a redheaded kid that you would imagine. Like He's so emotional, and he's you know, cheeks get flushed and his face, you know, turns splotchety and he like, he's so high with emotion to so low. And I kid you not, like a second, like it doesn't even take hardly anything. And his emotions shift so quickly. Well, uh, Brittany was dealing with him the other day and she brought him into my office and she was just exasperated. She was like, Britton, can you please just talk to Eli? And so Eli comes in. I was focusing on work at the moment. I was really trying to get things done. And here comes Eli, and he sits at the chair across from my desk. And I was not paying, I was not fully present in the moment, but I look at him. His face was all splotchy. He had been crying. He had done something, probably exploded at his brothers or something. And he, I look at him and I say, Eli, do you know what you've done? Because honestly, I didn't. So I was like, do you know what you've done? And he just nods his head. I say, well, what do you think we ought to do about this? And Eli just goes, honestly, Dad, I just think you should spank me. <laughs> he was like, that's what we call Texas justice, okay? Don't, don't judge us, you know? Like, he's like, honestly, Dad, I just, I, I just wish you would spank me or, or just ground me. 
Now, I know what he was getting at with that because what he's saying by saying that is, Dad, I will literally take any punishment except for sitting down and having a talk with you, all right? Because at this point in our life, uh, you know, we've all, as parents, if you're a parent here, you've probably read Shepherding a Child's Heart, right? So we're going to sit there and it's like, well, we want to get after their heart. Well, for my kids at that point now, like this is way worse than getting spanked or, you know, getting grounded, right? They would rather any other punishment than sitting down and talking about our heart. Why do we do that? Why is that so hard for us? I think because when our hearts are exposed and we kind of open up and we see what's going on in our hearts, We've got nothing to hide. It's like everything is, is laid out before us. And it's like, yeah, this is the, the real me. You can't really hide any of this. And so it's our true selves that are laid out there, like it or not. And if you remember the creation story, see, God lived and he walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. Okay, he was present there with them. And in the garden, it says there was peace. Adam and Eve needed nothing. They had everything that they needed for life. And it was all right there in the presence of God. However, Adam and Eve, they wanted to do their own thing, right? They, the serpent comes in and the serpent convinces them like, hey, if you eat of this tree, the one tree that you shouldn't eat from, but if you eat from this tree, then you'll be like God. You'll get to, to know the things that God knows. And so here, remember, Adam and Eve had everything that they needed they had everything that they could imagine, that they could want. They didn't need anything, but were suddenly convinced that, well, maybe that's better. Like, maybe if I had that knowledge, maybe if I was like God, then I would know more. Then I would be better. I would have more peace, right? There was this lie that entered in, and so they wanted to go their own way, so they ate. They ate of the fruit, and the Bible shows us what happened. Immediately, there was separation, Immediately, the peace that they had is now gone. Everything that they needed, God walking in the garden, no more. And since that moment, mankind has been on a search for the presence of God. We've been looking for it. Again, and we look for it to this day. We look for it in almost everything around us. And David was looking for it. He was longing for that presence. And so we see in the Old Testament that the presence of God was where? It was in the temple. So David says, I want to go to the temple because I'm, when I'm there, when I'm there in this building where God dwells, there it's like I'm back to the garden. It's like the peace is there and I don't need anything anymore. He just wanted to be with God because in the presence of God, there's no worry, there's no fear, there's no anxiety, there's no stress but there's peace in his presence. He wanted to be there. That's what he longed for. He was a man after God's own heart. But what I want us to see today is that in the same way that, that David is a man after God's own heart, God is after your heart. God's after your heart. He's after my heart. How do we know that he's after our hearts? Because he didn't just leave us. He sent Jesus in pursuit of us. And when Jesus came into the world, he came and he took our sin. 
If you've put your trust in Jesus, your sin was nailed to the cross. He came, he died, and as soon as he died, there was a curtain in the temple that separated the most holy place where God was from the rest of mankind. And the moment that he died, there was a a violent earthquake. And what happened? You remember, like the, the veil in the temple was tore from the top to the bottom. What does that signify? That God himself is removing the barrier between himself and where he lives and you and I and where we live. So now that we no longer have to go to a building to find the presence of God, we no longer have to to go to somebody else to, to pray to God for us. But because of this, we have direct access to God any moment. I like to say on Tuesday morning. Right When everything is normal and you're rushing around to go to work, it's in that moment that you still have the ability to be ushered into the presence of God because Jesus died for us. And the curtain was tore, giving us direct access to him. And so the death of Jesus tore the veil that separated God from us so we could be brought back into his presence. So here we are at the beginning of a new year, right? 20, I think it's 23 now, right? It's like hard to keep track after a certain amount of time. It's, it's crazy. I honestly can't believe it. It's like, goes so by, it goes by so fast. And um, this verse that we just read is so applicable at this time um, because it's the new year. And at the beginning of the new year, we all like to reflect on the year before. We kind of take stock of where we're at and we say, all right, there's these things that I want to change about myself. Right? We want some changes in our lives to kind of reflect uh, the things that we're valuing coming up. And what we find is that even if you make healthy changes in the past, it doesn't matter. There's always something that needs to be changed, right? So New Year, it's like, all right, let's do this again. Like, let's, let's get on the wagon and let's, let's figure this thing out and we're going to make changes. And so I kind of have this, this image that I uh, was given this week to help think through this. And uh, it was really became uh, flesh for me whenever I walked through the uh, Salt Lake International Airport. Have you guys been there? If you've been to the uh, Salt Lake Airport and, you know, been blessed enough to have a, a gate in the B terminal, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, man, you, you gotta, it's like a mile. And I'm not even kidding, right? It's like, it's like a mile walk all the way over there. And so, you know, you always see all these poor people running. I, like, there's nothing that can be done, right? They're running. And then you get to the end of this long, like, the end of the dungeon, and there's like a massive escalator there at the end, okay? So you guys, if you've been there, you can imagine this, right? So there's a huge escalator. You're kind of tired from walking, but just imagine with me for a second that you need to get to the top. You need to get to the top of this here, But all there is, those three escalators, you know, but they're all going down. Okay, they're all going down. So how is it that you're going to get up to the top? And don't, like, cheat and say you're going to go around the corner to the elevator, all right? Like, imagine you're standing there, and you're like, okay, I've got to get to the top of this escalator, but they're all going down. How are you going to do it? It's like, you know, know, tighten your shoes, pull up your pants a little bit. And you're just going to, you're going to go, right? You're going to try and run. And, and, you know, you're probably going to try and skip a few stairs. You're going to run as fast and as hard as you can. But you know the only way that you're going to get to the top of the, the escalator that's going down is through hard work and determination. That's the only way you can do it. But let's just say now you get three quarters of the way up. And now you're going, I've, I've got to take a breath. Okay, I'm tired. I'm almost to the top. I can see the top. But I'm going to take just a quick 
10 seconds to catch my breath. So what happens when you take 10 seconds to catch your breath? Yeah, you're like back down at the bottom again. And so here's what I want to share with you this morning. Life, some of you already know where I'm going. Life is trying to get up a down escalator. Okay? And some of you are like, why did Justin bring in this Debbie Downer, you know? Life is like trying to get up a down escalator. And here's how I know that I'm right, okay? Because everybody knows that there's a principle of decay in our world where it's like you don't necessarily have to do anything wrong for things to kind of go bad or to go wrong or to trend downward, but really you just have to do nothing at all, right? And so if you're standing there, things are going to trend downward. Romans 8 tells us that the world is subject to decay, The words that are used there is that the world is groaning in anticipation and longing for God. I think we all know this already. Like, think about your own body, right? If I do nothing with my body, I mean, I'm going to get older, right? Like, I don't have to do anything at all, but I'm going to continue to get older. And if I continue to eat the way I've been eating, then I'm going to continue to be gaining weight as well, right? If I don't do anything at all, things are going to continue to decline. And so at the beginning of a new year, we have this opportunity for a fresh start. We want to work on our bodies. We want to start a diet or start working out. Or like, if you're like me, you're like, well, you know, I'll just start with, maybe I'll take a multivitamin, you know, once a week or something. Like, we'll just start there. Let's do something easy. And then it's like, I can't even do that. We want to get our finances in order. We want to uh, do some Marie Kondo stuff in our house and organize our entire pantries and our closets. Um, If you're really spiritual, you're like, I want to read the whole New Testament in a week or something like that. And, And you want to do all of these things at the beginning of the new year. And then here we are, you know, now at the end of January and we kind of take stock of where we're at and we're like, ooh, like I've already stopped like four or five of those things. So here's just a quick self-reflection moment. You can share if you want to, if you're feeling really vulnerable. Okay, but, but who's, who had a New Year's resolution this year? Yeah, a few. Now, of those hands raised, who's still working hard on that thing? Uh, I love to see it. Congratulations. You're, you're still going. But the truth is that a lot of us have started something maybe at the New Year, and it's already stopped, right? We've already stopped doing that. The reality is, why don't these things work? They don't always work because we try and do so much new stuff at once. It's kind of like a drudge up an escalator that's going down. And so what happens is we eventually get worn out and, and we stop for just a second. And the moment we stop, what we realize is that we've gone all the way back down to where we were before we even started. And then we kind of like, oh, what's the point anymore? What's the point? But what I want to show you this morning is so powerful. Because this one thing that David says, he says, this one thing that I long for, this one thing that I need, I want to show you how this one thing that David was pursuing is so counterintuitive, where when you actually rest, you're actually going up. Where because of the gospel and Jesus' finished work on the cross, When you rest, you're actually getting more peace. You're actually growing in patience and love. 
and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control and all the things that, that we know we're lacking in our lives and we're trying to attain, but the moment we stop and we rest and what David was after, we abide with him. It's in the resting that those things come. And so what I want to do is I want us to just quickly look at John 15. Now, I, I know you've been in the book of John. Is that right? And uh, I talked to Justin about this. <clears throat> I said, now you guys are in John. Is that all right if I skip to John 15? And he's like, oh, we won't be at John 15 for like a year. I was like, wow, you guys are really going slow, which is awesome. So the good news is you're going to forget all of this before next year, right? Probably before next week, but Definitely before next year. And so it's, he said it was good if I went to John 15. So that's where we're going to be. We already read this passage, but it's got so much truth in it. John 15, verses 1 through 8. Let's just look at this briefly. This is Jesus talking. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. In every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? That it would bear more fruit. Now, I want to stop and look at this for just a second because we kind of get a, a picture of what pruning is. And, and it's not that it's just cutting away the dead. Like, that was always what I thought pruning was, that you go and you cut the branches that are already dead off of the tree or off of the vine. But what he's saying here that, that pruning is, is that, but it's also that when you prune you're going to prune parts of the tree that are already bearing fruit. Why? So that it would bear more fruit and better fruit. And so here's Jesus, and he's cleaning out the death stuff in their life. He's pruning off the useless pursuits that they chase after. He's stripping away the things that they love more than him, the things that they depend on more than him. And what I want to, what I want to show you is that, that we were created for this deep, intimate relationship with God. And Justin mentioned this last week, but, but what we do is we turn inward on ourselves, to where we begin to, to look for life in everything else that's around us. And so you just think about a vine for a second. When we lived down in Lehigh, uh, we had an older home that had a grapevine all along one fence, and it was amazing. But it was also crazy because if you just water that thing normally, what's going to happen is the vine's going to start creeping and it's going to start attaching itself to everything. And the grapevine at our house like attached itself to our house and started going up and going up the gutter. And before you know it, we had like grapes that were growing on our roof. Like for real, it's crazy. The, the vine will continue to grow and it will reach and grab for everything around it. But we all know, right, from this side of things that, that there's no life to be found in that, right? Like as, as it grabs onto everything that's around it, it's not getting life from that. Where's the life coming from? It's coming from the vine. And so the same is true for you and I. We, can't, we, we tend to, to grow and to, to grab and to reach everything around us. And we try to suck the life out of those things so that we can have the life. But life is not found in that. I've got to find my spot again, just a second. It's been a long time since I've done this, you guys. And I, I told somebody earlier, I was like, man, I have, it's been over a year and I have a lot to say. So just buckle up. Uh, Martin Luther, 
He said that the Word of God does a lot of cleaning in our life. He says that the Word of God does the cleaning, but some things can only be removed by suffering. And I want to just stop and pause here for a second because the reality is like we, we love to celebrate in the holiday season and there's a lot to celebrate. There's a lot to be celebrating. But for a lot of people, as the, the year comes to a new year, we kind of look and we take stock of where we're at. And some of you reflect on the previous year and, and it's hard. Some of you right now might be going through something that's so incredibly hard, so difficult. And you might be even looking at your life going like, why does God hate me? Like, why does he hate me that that all of this is happening to me? And what I want to just share with you briefly is that it's out of his love for you that he prunes so that you can only get life through him because he's the only source of life that that will produce fruit in your life. And so there is cutting and there is pruning, and I'm not minimizing that. I'm not minimizing the fact that that hurts and that it stinks and that we look around and we see loss in our life and in the lives of others, and we just try and move on past it. I don't think there's a spot for that. I think we are to sit in it and to to even find rest in that. But life can only be found through Him. And I promise you, we'll get to this in a moment, but it's not his hate for you, but it's his love for you that he does this. Let's keep going. Look at verse 3. He says, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I think we can all look at this and say, obviously, we know that we can do things apart from God. So what is he saying here? What is he actually getting at? I think what he's actually saying is that, um, yes, we can do a lot of things on our own power, and we do day in and day out, don't we? But what I think he's getting at is, is the things of eternal consequence in our lives, the change that we all want to see in our life at the new year, the change and we want to see in our kids' lives or in the life of a spouse or a friend, these are things that that can only be done through him. He's the one who brings the change, and it's not through us. We can do nothing. And so I've got to repent of that right now, like just for real, like apart from Jesus, I can accomplish nothing. Um, There's a book that I, I want to share with you. Um, a pastor named Tim Chester. I'm pretty sure most of you have already heard of this, but if you haven't, uh, this is great, especially at the new year as you're kind of looking for change and you're saying like, there's some, maybe some sin in my life that I've been struggling with for a long time. I want, I want to see some victory. And I pray that 2023 is the year of victory in that. Um, there's a great book by a pastor named Tim Chester called You Can Change. And through this book, he really uh, talks about the gospel and how through it is the gospel, like through belief in the gospel is the only thing that brings change in our hearts, right? Through abiding in the truth of the gospel is where change happens. And so I was sharing this with our small group back in Texas. And um, and there was a lady who was really intrigued by this, and she was writing it down. And, and a close friend of mine, she was like, I want to get this for my husband. Um, and so 
Uh, I meet with her husband. He's like, a, we call it fight club or like core group, we, DNA, whatever you want to call it. We sit together. We, we preach the gospel to each other. And, and so I was with him, and, uh, and he was, was kind of had a smirk on his face one day. He's like, man, at Christmas, I was like, how was your Christmas? He's like, on Christmas morning, um, my wife gave me this gift, and I was really excited. I opened it up, and it was a book, and he was said, I was surprised because I'm not much of a reader. And then he like opens it up further, and he peels back, and he sees like in bold letters on the front, like, you can change. And he like looks up at his wife and is like, what are you trying to say to me? So like, here's the thing, like the book is a great book. I don't recommend giving this book as a gift um, unless you're the really passive aggressive type where that's just kind of how you kind of work to get your point across. Uh, but still, not the best use of the book. But, uh, <laughs> but it's the, tr- the truth of the gospel is, is in that. Like that it's through the gospel that change happens in our heart. It's not through our own effort. And we try under our own efforts. But what happens is we continue to fall. It's that escalator. We continue to regress and go back down. It's only through belief in the gospel that true change happens in our life as we abide in the vine. Let's look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, the Father is glorified. That you, what, lose 20 pounds and get rid of the dad bod in the new year? Or if you finally get your finances together? Or if you finally share the gospel 20 times this week? Like, is that when the Father is glorified in you? No. What does it say? By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Listen, I think we can take a message like that. We can read this in the Bible and we can say, all right, all right, I got it. Like, I just, like, I want the Father to be pleased with me. I want the Father to be glorified in me, so I'm going to bear much fruit. And so we try and we try and bear fruit. But the reality is we can't do that, right? There's no part of you that can just say like, yeah, I'm going to be more loving this year. I'm going to be more giving. I'm going to have more peace and try and produce that under your own. You cannot produce that fruit on your own. The Father is glorified as you bear fruit. And what did he just say? How do we bear fruit? We bear fruit as we abide with him, as we abide in him. That's where the fruit comes from. Um, John Piper's always said it this way. He said, the Father is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. You've probably heard that. The Father is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. See, we were created by God with these longings and these urges and desires that we have. We've been created to long, to desire these things. But the problem comes when we try and and we, we long after the things that have no life in them. See, we were created to long But yet, at the same time, we were created where the only thing that would satiate our longing is the presence of God and the Spirit of God within us. And so we would rather pursue our own satisfaction elsewhere rather than abiding in His love for us, just like Adam and Eve. Just like Adam and Eve. So I want to end our time um, just by by being real for a second about, about this. Why don't we pursue God? 
Why don't we abide with him? Like, let's just be real. So here's a couple of things that stuck out to me. And maybe they will resonate with you and maybe not. But I have a feeling that these things all of us wrestle with. So the first reason that we don't pursue abiding with Jesus is because we don't think we're worthy of his love. Now, okay, this can flesh out in a couple of different ways. First, um, maybe like, like me, okay, I, I'm somebody who struggles a lot with, with guilt and shame. And so sometimes I, I look at myself and I'm like, I can't go to God right now because of who I am and what I've done and all of these things. Like, I do not deserve to go to God, which is, is true, but is only part of the story. And so you look at your situation and you go, I, I can't go to him right now in my, my current situation. But it also can flesh itself out like this. It can also flesh itself out in a really prideful way where you say, no, I've got to clean up myself before I go to God. Like there's things in my life that I, I've got to like get in order. I've got to get my, my stuff together so that I can go to God. And we see this even scripturally uh, with Mary and Martha. And you remember Jesus comes to recline at the house and he's there with them. And Martha's up and she's busy. She's working. She's cleaning. She's doing all the things so that, uh, and I'm, I get her. I get it like her. Like I, I'm, I'm like, all right, I've got to do all of these things so that I can sit and rest. Anybody resonate with that? Like I've got to, if I can do this and do that and, and like even spending time with Jesus in the morning, I'm like, I've got to do the dishes the night before so that I can wake up. I've got to have my coffee like prepped and ready to go so that I don't have to do all these things. And then I've got to have the house straightened up so when I sit down, my mind is not wondering like, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And so I try and get all of these affairs in order before I can be with God because somewhere in my mind and in my heart, I actually believe that that's required of me, that for me to be in the presence of God, I've got to have my house together. But what was Mary doing? As Martha was doing that, Mary was just sitting there at the feet of Jesus with him. I just want to be with you. She's just there with him. And, and I, I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm like, I, I want that for myself. But it's hard because, you know, we got to get our affairs in order. That's how I feel. And so first, we don't pursue abiding with Jesus because we don't think we're worthy or because we think we've got to get our stuff together. I want to just share these three verses with you that should change your life <laughs> because they're so impactful. And I think we, we breathe through them sometimes. So I want to just sit in this. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, know that the Lord, He is God. It's He who has made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. This is identity language here, that, that we are His. We belong to Him. And so the truth is that He knows the real you, right? Not the, the you that you try and put up when you're around other people, or the, the you that you even try and put up before, you're, before you go into God, into the presence of God. But he knows the real you. He knows what's actually going on in your heart because he's a good father. And not only that, he is because he knows you is that he came to rescue you. It's because he knows the real you that he came to rescue you. Second verse, Zephaniah 3.17. I heard some, some like grunts, so you guys know this one. This is good. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, 
a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. When you picture God, are you picturing this version of God? This God who's got a, a huge smile on his face and is whisking his child up in the air and is singing over you, is rejoicing over you? Or is your picture of a cold and distant father who's got his arms crossed and his eyebrows slanted in anger? That's, that's not the picture that the Bible shows us. We have a Father who loves to be with us. He longs to be with us, and He sings over us, and He rejoices over you with loud singing. He rejoices when you're with Him. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So I don't want you to miss the promise here that you can approach Jesus with confidence this week, right? Like, like Mary, even though the house is a disaster, <laughs> even though the, the world is burning down around you, you can sit. You've seen that. Um, you've seen that. That it's not a gif. It's it's a meme, maybe, where there's like this person, or I think it's a dog sitting at the table, and the whole like the whole house is on fire around it, right? But it's just sitting there, and it says, "This is fine." You know what I'm talking about? Like, there's some truth to that, in the reality of us in our presence with God. They're like, it doesn't matter what's going on in our world around us because when we are with him, there is peace. Passes all understanding, the scripture says. We can be in the presence of God and our anxiety goes away. It doesn't matter what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your life. It just melts away in the presence of Jesus as you sit with him. These truths resonate over you. You can come to him with confidence why? Not because you've done everything you could to get your house in order. Not because of all the things you've done to be worthy to be in His presence. But you can approach the throne of grace with confidence this week because of who He is and His love for you, and that is it. That's the only ground we have to stand on in His presence. So if you go back to the creation story, and you remember Adam and Eve, they broke the relationship with their father. There was separation, no more walks in the garden, no more peace, but God didn't leave it that way, right? He sent Jesus. We see there in Genesis, before they even leave the garden, God provides for them clothing. He provides for them a sacrifice of clothing to cover them. It's a picture of Jesus. He says, I'm promising you, I promise you that that I'm going to make a way for us to have a relationship again. And he does that through Jesus, through the cross. He sent Jesus, his son, to come and make a way to be brought back into relationship with him. And so there's a promise attached to this verse that, that you can approach him with confidence and that when you approach him, you can have confidence because you know his response to you. You know his response to you. You're going to be met with mercy and grace. And it's the picture of, of the son who's been far off. And he's been doing all of the things that he knows he shouldn't have done. 
right? The prodigal son, but what happens when he comes home? His father runs to him. His father drops everything and goes to him. He says, I just want you. I don't care about what you've done. I just want you. That's our father. So you can approach him with confidence. Because then the second reason that we don't abide with Jesus, and this is brief, but it's because it's we don't want to. <laughs> Let's just be real. We don't abide with Jesus because we don't want to. Um, we're a distracted people. If we're honest with ourselves, I think we get bored really easily. So I'll pull up to a red light, and I know it's going to be red for like eight seconds. But the first thing I do is I grab my phone and I go to Twitter and I'm like, oh, what's happening in the world around me? Because like, I, don't, I don't even have the attention span to sit for eight seconds at a red light and, and take in the world around me, right? We're just so distracted. We chase after entertainment. We chase after comfort. We chase after what's most pleasing to us at any moment. And I think we're all guilty of that. So what do we do about it, right? If this is you today, where do you go if you don't feel the affection for him? And I just have a couple of things that um, maybe if that's you, you like maybe take a couple of notes here just quickly. The first thing I would say, if, if you're in that place right now and you say, I, you know, I don't feel affectionate towards Jesus, I would say you need to take his word for it. Take his word for how he feels about you. Soak in the passages that we just read Read those again and again and memorize them. Soak in those passages. Second thing is confess to a friend. Share that with somebody. Look, I'm, right now, I'm, I'm just bored with God. Like, I, I really don't desire the things of God right now. Wes talked about that as we came in this morning. There's a lot of us that are here right now. I think we need to confess that to somebody else, but I think we also got to confess that and be real with the Father. I think because Jesus died and we're covered by his blood, you can go to the Father and you can be real and say, you know what? I'm kind of bored right now. I pray that you would stir up my heart toward you. I'm kind of angry with you over what you've done in this past year. You know, God can handle your doubts and God can handle your real emotion. He can handle it. And so I think for us, uh, a step towards abiding with Jesus might just be being real and honest and vulnerable with God about what we're actually feeling. And then the third thing is defy how you feel. Okay, it's great. You feel angry. You feel bored. Do it anyways. <laughs> Go to him anyways. Refute the lies by preaching the gospel to yourself. So sin in our hearts, it numbs us to where we can't feel his affection. But look at John 15, 9. I know I didn't have this, uh, I didn't have us read this at the beginning, but John 15, 9, these are Christ's words. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. To abide in my love, live in it. That's what it means. Live in my love, be there, sit there. Listen, do you know the Father personally? Do you know this love personally? Maybe you think you know God, but the image and the picture of the God that you know is this far-off, cold, distant Father that you've been working your whole life to appease. I want you to know this morning the Father is standing there with His arms open. He desires an intimate relationship with you, and you can approach Him with confidence because of what He's done to make that relationship possible. 
not because of what you've done. So you can go to him. Maybe today the Spirit is drawing you for the first time into this love. I would say talk to somebody. Share that with somebody. And then for you others, maybe you have experienced that love, but maybe you've been bored. Maybe you haven't pursued the abiding love of the Father. What would it look like this week for you to abide with Him? Just this week. What, what would it look like? What's one tangible thing you can do this week to abide with the Father? And I, I say this because I think it's different for all of us. For some of you, it might just be laying down the distraction for a little bit. Laying it down, whether it's TV or your phone or, or something else. Laying down to the, the distraction to just be with Him. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's silence. That's hard for me, right? Turning everything off and sitting in silence. And ask, ask the Spirit to, to hear the voice of the Father singing over you. Maybe it's, it's, maybe it's digging into the Word again. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe it's taking a walk and praying. I don't know. Ask the Spirit, just for a second, what has your attention? And what is, what is it that you need to lay down this week to abide with Him? One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we come to you this morning in awe of who you are and what you've done to be with us, to abide with us, to live with us. And God, I, I confess that my attention has been literally everywhere else sometimes than on you. I confess that. And I, I thank you that even in that, you, you meet me. You meet all of us. God, I confess that I've been bored with you, that I've turned to other things to satisfy my heart. God, thank you that even still you love me all the more. That you've laid down your life to be with us. And so I pray that you would stir that in our hearts, God, that we would leave in awe of your love for us and that we would long to meet with you again. Jesus, would you do that? Spirit, would you stir in our hearts this desire? Would you bring true change in our hearts and in our lives this year? Not, not change that can be done under our own power. God, I don't want that. Like That brings nothing to me. God, would you bring true change that only the Spirit of God can bring? That's what we long for. And Jesus, where we don't long, I pray that you would, you would stir it up in us. We need it. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.